We hear about bullying on the school playgrounds, on social media, and so much of it is focused on children because, let's face it, they're still growing, they're learning, they haven't developed the emotional resilience us adults are supposed to have. But the reality is that as adults, we're not bullyproof. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. As a kid, you may have heard growing up that sticks and stones can break your bones, but names can never hurt you. That's not true. As an adult in the workplace, you may have witnessed some intimidating behavior, harassment, or verbal abuse at the office. The person who yells all the time or who curses a blue streak, who's hot-tempered, who can't control themselves. And maybe you've told, you've told yourself, oh, that's just the way they are. But name-calling is disrespectful. It destroys employee engagement. It erodes self-esteem, and it can be harassment, and in some cases, even evidence of discrimination. It destroys trust because it creates a hostile environment, and in some cases, leads to physical forms of retaliation and acting out. The things that make headlines, like the shooter who starts gunning people down. Yet there are warning signs and systems that you can put in place to keep your workplace safe and promote a harmonious, more productive business culture. And that's what we're going to explore here today with my special guest, Felix Nader, president of Nader Associates LTD. Felix is a certified security consultant, having received his certification from the International Association of Professional Security Consultants. He's got more than 30 years of investigative, managerial, and security experience and expertise as a United States Postal Inspector and Postal Police Officer, and eight of those years were devoted to workplace violence interdiction. Please, no jokes about going postal. I know what you're thinking, but that's exactly why he's eminently qualified to speak about this subject. And what's really spectacular about Felix is that over the last 12 years, he's developed a methodology, a holistic, business-friendly security management methodology dedicated to giving you an integrated and comprehensive workplace violence prevention security awareness program to protect against the escalation of abusive behaviors and the resulting legal liability. He's received numerous awards for his commitment to excellence, professionalism, and deep knowledge of his subject matter. And when you hear him speak, you'll immediately understand why. That's why it's such an honor and a privilege to have him here today with us. Welcome to Business Confidential, Felix. I am thrilled, Hannah. You make me walk on water. Fantastic. <laughs> well, in my opinion, you do, because, the, you know, the, the topic of workplace violence is a sensitive one. You know, most of organizations don't want to believe that it could happen to them. And so, you know, it's the elephant in the room. They don't want to talk about it, much less deal with it. So that's why I think 
your expertise in this area is so important, so valuable, because it can happen. And I'm really interested in, you know, the work that you've done over the years. Why aren't workplaces taking prevention more seriously? That's a question that I'm often asked of frequently, Hannah, and it's, uh, it's an incredible question simply because from a business standpoint, it makes sense. It makes sense to have policies and programs in place that uh, give a sense of security to the workforce. They spend most of their time at work, so why not being at work? But specifically to your question, I don't think that they really, really believe that something as uh, a real threat of physical violence emanating and resulting into a uh, homicidal act is something that ever could affect them. So they don't really plan for the when it happens. They plan for if it happens. And if it happens, is a lackluster investment that doesn't deserve, doesn't get the proper credit. That's the best way that I can answer that question, Hannah. So how real and present is the threat to a workplace? I mean, let's talk about a small business, for example. You know, they think that, oh, you know, my employees are like family. Maybe they even are family. Could it happen there? Absolutely. Uh, Workplaces are a microcosm of our societies. Our societies and their problems are in your workplaces. So if you don't have uh, uh, defined uh, expected behaviors that are managed and controlled and resources in place to help reduce stresses, those microcosm microcosm behaviors that are at home are in the streets are going to be in your workplaces. And so you have to be sensitive to this and you have to have policies in place that employees consider to be of value to them and not just punitive when they get in trouble. Interesting, interesting. So what really is the pushback in having those policies and procedures in place? What, why? What another great question. I think that workplace violence prevention is looked at uh, in most workplace sectors as an insurance policy. In other words, you know, it's never going to have, you're never going to have a problem with it. But like an insurance policy, when there's a problem, there are things in place that you could do to mitigate the, uh, the risk to the business. I really think that if there was an educated uh, effort within workplaces in pushing the value of prevention as a business security logical approach to employee engagement and employee wellness, the CEOs would get it. But I just don't think that those people responsible for conveying that as a serious business detractor or inhibitor are doing an effective job in talking about the internal impact not somebody else's statistics, not the government statistics, but a collation of data that is directly tied to their unique impact and the workplaces and the at-risk situations that their employees are likely to encounter, identifying the complaints from previous years and then reporting that data up maybe as frequently as quarterly to the CEOs to emphasize the importance of doing something with the information that they have now collected. So what types of things would you recommend people collect? Well, if they had incident reporting systems in place, they would begin collecting reports of how I've been treated. Uh, Let's take bullying, for example. We all all think that bullying is uh, is a little uh, inappropriate behavior, and it goes away with a little bit of counseling, a little bit of talking. And in some cases, it, it does when people are just having fun. But bullying really is a calculated behavior Um, carried on by people who have this overpowering attitude about getting over 
and they use it in their workplaces. So if you have a reporting system that's monitored and that's tracked and you could see the complaint, and if it's more than one, take appropriate action to address it, you could begin noticing that there's a pattern of behavior that, that warrants attention at some level. So having a credible reporting system in place that's tracked and monitored and somebody is responsible for doing something with it, not like the example of a security guard watching a hundred closed circuit televisions. How can you possibly, you know, monitor a hundred closed circuit televisions? Somebody in the in the workplace has to be responsible for looking at the data and saying, We've got red flags that are eminent here and we've got to do something about it. Well, what if employees are so scared that they don't even want to report something? Well, my goodness gracious, that, that tends to be the case. You have to understand that adults are adults and children are children. Adults rationalize what their risks are and what their exposure is when they elevate this, and it might be considered to be inappropriate. They don't want to become the brunt of criticism. They don't want to become the brunt of retaliation. And they don't want to become the brunt of inappropriate comments by the, the individual who happens to get wind that they've been reported. And so they just right. uh, endure it. So how do you break that cycle? Because eventually it's going to escalate. Something's going to snap. Correct. You break that cycle by deploying credible threat management, if you would, violence prevention and anti-bullying measures that start from the top down, that are reinforced by supervisors and managers, and that engender a sense of trust, confidence, and credibility in the workforce that when they report it, somebody is listening to them, somebody cares, and somebody handles it confidentially, and someone resolves it, and someone tells them, by the way, we appreciate you. Thank you for reporting it. That doesn't happen as frequently as it ought to happen. Because the people that are being, that the information is being reported to feel they can't do anything with it. They don't want to hear it. And it's just another problem on their desk. But you know, I, what really resonates with me is when you said being able to demonstrate to the employees that someone is listening, somebody cares, that it matters. Yeah. And the thing is, that may be difficult in some work environments to sort of fit in with everything else that they're they're doing. They're like, well, we're not a daycare center. You know, my job isn't to make you feel good and be an extension of your helicopter parents. Um, but let's talk about something a little bit different. Let's talk about what some warning signs could be or factors that increase risks. Because even though nobody believes it could happen at their particular workplace, there may they may recognize some warning signs that they could maybe then keep on their radar screen. If, what would you recommend they look at? Thank you very much. An important, an important uh, intervention strategy that is overlooked is training supervisors and managers how to be proper observers of the behaviors that might contribute to violence or that might contribute to at-risk situations in the workplace. And there are little things that begin subtly. Um, a person who normally comes to work suddenly is giving, uh, submitting in requests for leave, and their, their leave requests become frequent. You, you need to start asking what's going on. There may be issues in the workplace. There might be issues at home. Um, there, there are people who suddenly put in requests for reassignments who have enjoyed working in a particular environment or setting who now press the issue of wanting to be reassigned. There are people who enjoy their interaction with coworkers who suddenly become, become quiet and are now in the corner somewhere because they don't want to be involved with the rest of the population. 
um, subtle as it may be, significant in terms of how it impacts the individuals. And what it, what it eventually happens is these people start beginning to feel stressed out. Their levels of stress start increasing. They begin to feel anxiety and panic attacks, and they start acting out verbally, and no one begins to associate their behavior to some event that's occurring in their lives, either at home or at work. And they then become the brunt of management attention because they're disrupting the workplace because they don't know how to respond to what's happening to them. So they internalize the behavior, and they become the brunt of management's uh, uh, um, accusations of inappropriate conduct in the workplace. There's loss of confidence in doing their work. They're not paying attention. Their self-esteem is, is lowered. They're doing things that place them at risk within the workplace. If they're operating equipment, their attention to the uh, equipment becomes less of a focus. And so good supervision can identify these things. We're not talking about a person who's being physically assaulted. We're talking about a person who's being psychologically assaulted. And there's a difference. Let's explore that a little bit more. The, the psychological assault. Mm -hmm. What types of things would constitute a psychological assault? Interesting. Let's take the common um, aversion, if you would, to the Middle Eastern folks to come into our workplaces who bring along their culture. The harassment begins by ridiculing them. Um, let's take what's happening with the, the sudden pushback on the uh, Confederate flag. Um, you may not be able to do anything about that, but in the workplace there are subtle things that are, are ensuing, name-calling, harassment. Um, how about things like when a person stores their personal belongings in a refrigerator, it's in the same place every single day, now all of a sudden the person can't find it. How about when a person uh, stores their tools and equipment in the same location, they know where to find it, suddenly they don't find it? Um, how about little mail subscriptions from the magazines that fall out, the subscription cards that fall out, and suddenly you're getting tons of unordered, unsolicited magazines coming to your home? Um, how about just demeaning things that are said about you that are designed to cause you to feel inferior and for the lowering of your self-esteem. There are so many things that these calculated individuals do and they do it willfully and intentionally to cause you to feel inferior because they want to manipulate you and control you. Interesting. Very interesting. I mean, you're really kind of taking my breath away here for a second um, because it would seem people that experience those types of things and things like them could easily say, that's just coincidence. I'm being oversensitive. And, and that's what the bully hopes is exactly the end result. They, they act in such a way. Let's, let's take the example of the supervisor. The supervisor bully type is a, t tends to be a hard worker, productive type of person who yields the organization quantifiable results that show I'm the right guy for the job. But if he is the bully, he has the full support and, and credibility of his superiors. And when employees go around him to complain, they don't believe the employee because they have such high regard for the supervisor. And, and so it is important that there are systems in place that look at every single aspect of an employee complaint, either to controvert it or to corroborate it. 
Because if not, then the ability of this particular supervisor to effectuate his objective of harassing people becomes a real part of his skills and his tools in controlling the workforce. And there's a little thing that isn't talked about much in America. It's called mobbing. When an employee comes to a supervisor to complain about another supervisor, they collaborate and they turn the tables around on this employee and they make it appear as though amongst the workforce that the employee victim is the reason for the problems in the workplace. And then the workforce now start uh, mobbing or, or retaliate against this individual victim because their lives are becoming miserable as a result of his complaining to management about things that are not real, things that are just imagined, things that they're just concocting up for no reason or another. It's very serious, Hannah, it, and it's all tied to influence, capability, and ability, and the, the desired outcomes that they want in achieving this harassing uh, control over people so they can either... Uh, bolster their own standing within the organization or control the environments. You're really, you're just blowing me away here. I mean, what you're talking about is people that are good at kissing up, but they kick down as far as their reports go. And what you're describing is the essence of office politics. Yes. And depending upon the relationship that you have, you get away with it. And not disparaging the folks responsible for managing this, if the person is... uh, brought on the carpet, they're just verbally counseled as to their behavior, and they're told to tone down the behavior, and they essentially go back in, and they're angry at the person who caused their exposure. So until management looks at it aggressively and says, Felix Nader, Supervisor XYZ, this behavior is not going to be tolerated. And if I hear one more report, you're on the carpet, but it's not going to be a counseling session. It's going to be a little bit more serious escalation in accountability. Then it would change things. But no, we label these guys as aggressive leaders, aggressive managers, and blame the workforce victim for the one starting the problems. And therein lies why the workforce, Hannah, has no trust and credibility in the workplace violence prevention program. And they report it outside the organization rather than trust it getting unresolved within the organization. Right, or people leave or turn into whistleblowers if something horrible is happening inside. That's if they have the courage to do that, because at that point, they've probably been beaten down pretty much, and exactly. it, uh, it takes a toll. Exactly. So, all right, I mean, we may be having some listeners out there that are still skeptical that, oh, this could happen in my workplace. Now we get along. Yeah, so-and-so is a little bit out. But, you know, like you said, a little counseling, they'll tone it down. And for the folks in the corner offices, they see the toned-down version because that's how the information is being manipulated because they're the, those people are controlling the information flow. And uh, the senior folks aren't getting down into the nitty-gritty weeds. They probably don't want to because, as you said, there's, they're high performers. But in reality, they're not getting the full performance of their talent pool that they could get and they should get. They're getting good enough. And maybe that's fine. Maybe that's fine. But I'm sure we have some people listening who are saying, whoa, you know, maybe there are some things. And especially entrepreneurs who are in the process of scaling their organization, which is the golden opportunity to be embedding good business practices as your culture continues to grow. Because the more people you employ, the bigger your payroll is, the harder it becomes to manage and control culture. So doing it in the early stages and then having people become 
accustomed to that is really the way to go than rather than having this big unwieldy sort of aircraft carrier of an organization and now you want to turn it on a dime. Correct. So, I, you know, I've been to your website, Felix, and I've seen some of the, the articles that you've written and the comprehensive approach that you have to violence prevention. Or, I mean, in violence prevention, as you mentioned, is really a very broad umbrella that covers any inappropriate behavior. It doesn't mean somebody pulling out a gun or a homicide, um, but things that cause unnecessary stress. You know, we should be joining together as a team to deal with our customers, clients, patients, guests' problems, not fighting each other internally. Correct. So, talking about a comprehensive program, again, could be a scary sounding thing to some of our listeners. Oh my God, this is expensive. I don't have time. But what could somebody do that's not overkill? You know, pardon the expression here. Um, does it have to be complicated? No, very good. You stole the word that I was going to say. Comprehensive does not have to be complicated. Comprehensive can include new employee orientations. Include this in the new employee orientation. Uh, comprehensive could be employees who know what are what are the appropriate behaviors, inappropriate behaviors. Establishing a credible reporting system that says, when you bring something to my attention, we're going to do something about it. Educating and training the supervisors on what their responsibilities are in doing something with a complaint that comes to them or an observation that makes. Helping the senior managers recognize that this is a negative behavior that impacts on the business and the business bottom line because stress affects injury compensation. Injury compensation affects a person's being away from the workplace. And then the loss of that employee in terms of the initial investment to bring them into the workplace are all negative cost factors inhibiting the business. And so comprehensive means looking at this and looking at it from a, a holistic standpoint and say, how do we minimize the impact it has on the business and if you care about the workforce and then develop these cost-effective strategies that cost you nothing if you're internalizing the value without going and hiring a consultant like me after the fact to bring to your attention all the things you should have been doing in the first place. So it's not a cost. It's not a very expensive investment, they're all cost-effective strategies that any business that, caring, that was caring and thoughtful could implement on their own, with a little guidance, and certainly on their own. Let me ask you this. What about a startup organization or an emerging organization, all right? Even Microsoft started in a garage. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, everybody starts small at some point. And hopefully they grow, and they're the success stories we read about in the paper. But in reality, the bulk, the majority of our economy here in the United States is made up of small and mid-sized companies. The Googles and the Microsofts of the world, they grab the headlines. But what really is the engine of our economy is the smaller business, the entrepreneur. At what stage of their development would you recommend somebody begin to internalize and incorporate these policies? How should they do it? You know, because in the beginning, they're just trying to get customers and cash flow. And there's a lot going on. And there's a lot going on. And yes. they miss. And they miss what transpires as normal part of growth. The, the, the anxiety, the stress levels, the arguing, the, the in-your-face stuff. That's normal part of growing your business because there's so much passion involved. 
it takes that discerning focused manager or business owner to keep his or her finger on the pulse to recognize the difference between that passionate, engaged, and positive uh, behavior uh, in, in comparison to the toxic behavior that doesn't go away and that has an adverse effect on the growth of the business, has an adverse effect on those people who are part of the business growth. And so the difference is how sensitive and how in tune are you to those issues as opposed to just being focused on making the money and growing the business? Because a business that isn't focused on people isn't going to be a successful organization. That's true. When you build your people, they'll help build your business because as an individual, you only have 24 hours a day. There's only so much you can do. You're limited. Absolutely. And let me say something else too, Hannah. Let's, let's just say that a year later, Felix Nader XYZ Company is doing very, very well. But someone feels that they were wrongfully treated and that their complaints fall on deaf ears and that somebody decides now to pick up the phone and makes an anonymous complaint. The anonymous complaint may not go nowhere, but he can then become smarter and say, and guess what? There is no policy in place that governs this behavior, and this person is still bothering me. The next phone call comes in, and by the way, I've reported it, and guess what? There's no mechanism in place. Okay. And the next phone call goes in and says, now I have been confronted in a confined space. I feel threatened and intimidated, and no one is doing anything about it. I think I'm going to file a lawsuit. So for all intents and purposes, and you're the lawyer, if I exaggerate the number, that business will go out of business because the average out-of-court settlement for serious violations that result in either physical harm or homicide are in the millions of dollars. Can a small business say I can overcome a small complaint, an average of thirty, $40,000 civil liability for not having things in place? that cause the person to either lose their job because of trauma and exposure. I don't think a business wants to expose themselves that way or take a chance. So why not have prevention measures in place that minimize that business exposure and also sends a positive message to your workforce in advance of a problem like that? Interesting, because a parallel to that, you know, when you talk about having policies in place, is what happened in the sexual harassment area. I mean, several decades ago, a lot of companies weren't paying a whole lot of attention to it. And they got sued, and there were some big awards, no question about it. And then a really important court case came down that said, if you have a policy in place that is enforced... You have a defense. In other words, that's a way for the company to distance themselves from the rogue employee who is engaging in inappropriate behavior. And suddenly, all of a sudden, these sexual harassment policies became a common, accepted part of business practice. And it seems that more of that needs to happen for workplace violence because it's very much a parallel. It's an inappropriate behavior and and a toxic behavior. I really like that label that you gave it before. It really is. And, and whenever I do speaking, just for the sense of verifying this number of 70 and 30, I ask the audience, just by a show of hands, how many in, let's say there's 20 in the, in the audience, for argument's sake, usually there's much more than that. I say, for, for the sake of argument, how many folks in this room, their workplace has a workplace violence prevention policy that covers X, Y, and Z? Three hands go up out of 20. Three hands, four hands. So I'll ask wow. the question. Within those three, four hands, how proactive is the policy in dealing with issues? One hand goes up. So that number, 70% of the workforce does not have a proactive workplace violence prevention policy, 
seems to be the norm. And I don't know if it's because it creates too much work, or I don't know if it's because it is too much work, or what they don't know about won't hurt them, but it's a really serious issue that does affect businesses. And today, with the revision to OSHA's approach to responding to employee complaints, they're going out. And if they can verify a violation of the, of the OSHA policy on the, the duty to warn clause, uh, they will cite the organization. And they will continue citing the organization every day for failing to correct that deficiency, if you would, or that known existing hazard. So things have changed. And they'll continue to change. There'll be continued awareness. And what's unfortunate is that until that gap is bridged, there's going to be a lot of stressed out employees and companies who are not getting the best from their talent pool. Let me ask you, who should be taking the lead on workplace violence prevention? You make it sound as though it doesn't need a full-time person if you embed it into the culture and especially as part of the onboarding process for new employees. But still, there's a maintenance factor because, you know, everybody says, okay, we like filling out your, uh, your tax information for payroll. You do it once, we're done, check off the box. Okay, the list is done. But what happens a year from now, two years from now? Who should be taking the lead on keeping this top of mind? There, there, there are two strategies to my violence interdiction model that deal with the question. One is if you are serious about it, there are cost-effective strategies that you can employ. But you still need to have a program manager responsible for managing the program itself. Who's going to track this stuff? Who's going to assess and evaluate the risk? Who's going to look at warning signs and risk factors? Who's going to look at red flags? So the organization needs to have someone. And I don't know anymore, even though they own the program, if the HR community is, should be the independent uh, gatekeeper of this program. Uh, there are a lot of issues that, that impede the effectiveness. I call it silo. There are so many laws and regulations that prohibit the HR folks from having a threat assessment approach to this that uh, brings other folks into the discussion to share information that might be sensitive. So we really have to come up with a proactive uh, uh, approach to this that in, invites others within the organization as part of this confidential setting. If HR still wants to run, they can own the program, but give it out to somebody with a safety facility or security, anyone who could take the daily responsibility of doing the legwork, asking the questions, uh, verifying the existence of the complaint, corroborating its nature, doing something that at least rolls up the information, the data, and begins the internal assessment and analysis of the complaint. But to have no one because the assumption is we'll do something if it happens, it's just falling into the hands of a very sharp, litigious lawyer who can say, I know you're just playing games with me because you had nothing in place and now you're trying to build a structure and it's too late because we got you right where we got you. So we, I want to avert all of that and I want to help businesses take a more proactive and caring uh, approach to workplace violence prevention by having policies that are properly managed and responsible, a responsible senior leader that oversees the program itself. Great. Uh, you know, we're coming down to the end here, and I want to wrap up, but there's there's two things that I'd like to ask. One, if someone listening wants to get in touch with you, what would be a good way for them to do that? Interesting. Uh, Telephone-wise, the best number is my toll-free number. It rolls to my business and my cell phone, and that's one 825 8101 825-VALUE-101. Uh, or they can go to my website and uh, 
go and go to the contact uh, section of my website and contact me that way. But usually the best way is just one eight seven seven eight two five eight one zero one, and it gets directly to my cell or my office numbers, either in New York or in North Carolina. But Fantastic. I wanna. I hate to interrupt. There are two things I want to leave you with uh, before you close. One is responsibility of the victim, and one is responsibility of management. If you're a victim of bullying, don't wait until it becomes such a stress on you to report it. Report it right away and then document it. And Mr. Supervisor or Ms. Supervisor, when you are the recipient of a complaint of that nature, don't make the assumption that you're not a babysitter or a parent. Take that to heart, do something with it, and begin your own accountable and responsible behavior to eradicate the problem before it grows. Because I can tell you that victims become the aggressors, and the aggressors become the people who return to your workplace because they felt victimized. So we don't want to take a small issue like bullying and make it an aggressive response to, I want to get even because you didn't pay attention to me. All right. All right. Well, that's that is something definitely to take to heart, whether you're an employee and or a supervisor in a senior position to do something about it. Thank you, Felix. I am so grateful for your time today and especially these wonderful insights that you've shared with our Business Confidential listeners. Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Keltner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you, too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential Now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media, too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.